Ladies and gentlemen, the season has officially begun. Welcome back to, can we call it like season three? Like, I feel like we're <laughs> one of those like very mid-tier Netflix shows that you forget what season you're on because like COVID kind of screwed everything up. So I'm just calling this for us, at least we're on season three. <laughs> yes. And exactly like net, like Netflix, every podcast posting platform is basically wanting to have people on their on their <laughs> just on their platform making content and charging almost nothing to <laughs> I guess I guess in Netflix's case they will just give anyone money to actually be yeah, on there yeah yeah be to be on Netflix and uh and create shows for them but yeah if you're certain yeah. producers you actually get unlimited budgets so I've heard <laughs> that's yes that's true that's true <laughs> but um Anyway, Elias, how was your weekend? Weekend was wonderful. Spent the weekend in Washington, D.C. Shout out to my friend Chia, who uh, is off to grad school on the West Coast. So we wish her the best of luck. So spent the weekend with uh, friends and family saying goodbye and, and hanging out, generally enjoying the city of Washington, which honestly, like I had this realization. So I walked through... Um, I don't know if anyone knows like the layout of DC, but I walked through Georgetown at some point during the weekend and it, it like, it reminds me of Chestnut Hill. Like it's very, very similar to Chestnut Hill, but the scary part for me was like, A, the fact that it's like really in the heart of DC, but more so that I wanted to be in an environment like that, which that is some trauma that we have not uncovered being in Chestnut Hill and now wanting to go back to it in the form of of dc I, I, I find it very funny that you started that with like i don't know if anyone knows the layout of washington dc and then proceeded to compare it to a small yeah. town in <laughs> that, that we grew up in uh, yeah, fair <laughs> i enough. mean obviously everyone knows the layout of chestnut hill like the dc <laughs> is the hard one um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> do you not know chestnut hill? yeah that's fine that's fine but yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's a very fair point i figured no one except for maybe a select few might know what the layout is like but I think I fully decided that at some point I've got to move to to DC. It is it was beautiful down there. Um, it's just not as it's like it takes all the pros of New York and puts them in a city. Like it just doesn't have any of the cons. Like it's not smelly. It's not super loud. It's it is super hot. Like the summers are just unbearable. <laughs> it's, I'll it's give way more humid. Yeah, yeah. It's too, it's like a sauna during the summer. Beyond that, though, ten out of ten city. <laughs> Great. So I'll be spending my springs and winters. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was basically what Alice is trying to convince me of. Yep, no, hundred <laughs> percent. But what did what did you get up to? You, you and I did not spend any part of the weekend together. That made me sad. I I missed oh. that. I'll say that. <laughs> I missed it too. Um, I I didn't get up to too much. I, it was actually kind of an ideal weekend where like you go out you actually <laughs> Brianna go was like well, actually you were you were out of town this week it was perfect I, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was like i do weekend where like one night you go you actually go out whatever and you're actually out of the, an apartment or whatever you're walking around going to bars what and whatnot another night you're just in someone's apartment and everyone stays inside and you don't have to like actually leave the building and there was still an outdoor area that that we were at which was perfect and so didn't have to actually like go and get to a line for a bar or pay drink for drinks um on saturday night and then sunday was perfect and 
Lovely. In the sense of uh, just sitting around in my apartment watching movies and television, watched um, watched the first three Pirates of the Caribbean with uh, with some people, and that was the first time in a long time watching any of those. And they really do hold up. It's it's they very, do they hold up. Yeah. <laughs> and and honestly, I can't imagine saying this now, but I actually find the Johnny Depp character funnier now than I did <laughs> as a kid. So <laughs> that's actually impressive because I feel like as kids, like I don't know, like I loved his character. I thought he was the highlight of that show. I mean, Captain Jack reasons. Sparrow. I should be. I should obviously be his real name. No, uh, no, no. Be- people people know what uh chestnut hill the chestnut hill layout is they don't know who jack sparrow is of course <laughs> yeah yeah no i i i loved pirates of the caribbean like the whole series and jack sparrow is i don't know if he's funnier now to me but he was always hysterical like i think i found him overly hilarious when i was a kid <laughs> and now it's just normalized <laughs> yeah and oh my gosh also like the cgi in um yeah. the second movie mm-hmm. especially when, when they when they introduced like davy jones and all the like fucking half c persons um it was actually really good and that movie was made in 2006 <laughs> so like i i have to give a shout out to whoever worked on that and probably end up working on like marvel movies or something like that honestly. i would hope so. i would hope because it was way ahead of its time like the detail in like davy jones's face was just the tentacles wow that's uh, well perfectly done <laughs> uh, just as creepy as you'd imagine but we're not here to talk about davy jones or jack Captain jack sparrow we are here however Rian, to talk about i'm trying to think of an analogy to i guess what you could call like some version of city that we saw this weekend but i'm i'm not that creative i'm not a writer i'm very much a talker so i'll leave it at that <laughs> of course we're going to jump right into things and talk a little bit about the premier league on this portion of the pod or this week's pod like during the England portion. That's what I'm trying to say. (laughs) Anyway, it's been a long day. Rian, let's talk about our game of the week. We're going to be doing this on each podcast, our game of the week in Spain and our game of the week in England. Starting off has to be, has to be Manchester City versus Spurs. Spurs, Harry Kane-less. Man City, awkwardly, also Harry Kane-less. Spurs coming out on top, 1-0. I texted Rion at halftime and during this game because I was watching this game actually like partially on my phone. And I texted Rion and I said, thoughts on the first half. This man, conveniently enough, chooses 30 seconds before Spurs score to <laughs> res- respond with shockingly surprised by Spurs, to which he then emphasizes his own message right after they score. <laughs> So the audacity on Rian this weekend was just unhinged. But Rian, <laughs> let me hear your actual thoughts on the game overall. Well, start, starting off, it was really awesome to see the entire stadium filled with fans. And this goes across the entire weekend, which we'll probably talk a bit more as we um, get through like the rundown of the rest of the results from the weekend later. But specifically for this game, to have these two teams playing each other on the first day, or sorry, first weekend of the season, <laughs> with all of the Harry Kane context going into that game, he didn't travel on the bus. He wasn't in the 
18. I mean, it's, it makes it even funnier that he didn't travel on the bus considering that the game was at Tottenham's home stadium. So I can't imagine he <laughs> I can't imagine that's too far of a drive for him. But <laughs> uh, from from like an atmosphere standpoint to see the stadium filled and just like the whole I don't know the I guess the excitement is the big thing from all those fans who had not a lot of them who had not been there in two years or almost two years at that point and their energy throughout the entire game and a lot of this has to go down to also just how fun spurs were on the day um every counter like you, you could hear feel like that you hear the tension coming through the tv as like the crowd get excited to come for, uh, during those counter attacks and then obviously like the release from <laughs> of all again of all people hungman's son scoring um shocks not not that that was shocking but <laughs> just, but but it, again everything is now in like the harry kane context um Sun scoring and the place like absolutely exploding um, that point to into the second half, the, are you watching Harry Kane chance? Yeah. <laughs> like, everything from like a fan atmosphere standpoint was just like everything that we missed from the last yeah 18 months. I'm, I honestly like that was, you hit on a really good theme. Like just the atmosphere of the stadium was genuinely electric to the point where I forgot that there was a point where there were no fans. Like I genuinely forgot like that existed. And just hearing like non speaker based audio (laughs) of fans was so refreshing for it to, to come through in the way that it did. It's something very special, like about, football though especially in a new stadium like as beautiful as spurs i will shit on spurs almost any day of the week but that one thing i will not shit on them for is that stadium because it is gorgeous um but in terms of like just the way that this game played out the first half and this is one of the questions that i wanted to get into rian like the first half of this game reminded me of basically all of manchester city's problems like it didn't it didn't really remind me so much that Spurs like are a bottler team, like don't have the squad that they need. Like it didn't really remind me of that. It just felt like, again, Manchester city picked up exactly where they left off with not having enough quality, not quality, not having enough of the right profile to finish off their chances. Like it, it it seemingly is still a massive problem for Pep and, not to say that Sergio Aguero was the solution to that problem, but letting him go was not a step in the right direction. Right. And and, and it's letting him go without a replacement, putting an yeah. asterisk, asterisk mark right there in the pod. <laughs> and so that Elias can go back and edit this when that <laughs> transfer goes through with Harry Kane. Um, but, but no, I, I think you're totally right. Like the first half, I mean, the first half also felt like every Tottenham Man City game in like the last three years too yeah. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, where yeah. City dominate possession City have way more shots so you have at least two or three big chances where they just find a way not to finish again like they they are still the most hilarious team in terms of finding ways not to finish uh, maybe I mean last season 
that was easily Chelsea. But mm-hmm. most other years, hilarious uh, the way that, that City finds a way not to not to score. And to kind of beleaguer this point, <laughs> since Tottenham have moved into this new into their new stadium, the results against City are this: one nil, two nil. 2-0, 1-0, all Tottenham wins, where City outshot Spurs across those four games, 55-34, to 34, with oh four, 14 of those coming this past weekend, actually, which I think we'll get onto for, for the Spurs point of view here. But um, City scoring zero goals on 7.1 XG. So it's... <laughs> Wait, sorry, how many goals? <laughs> zero. Ah, uh, yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I actually, want... I no, I genuinely thought I heard you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's, I mean, across those four games, it's five goals to none for Spurs. Um, and yeah, this is, this is like the yin and yang of Manchester City under Pep Guardiola, right? Saw all the great possession um, and being able to turn it into chances and yet, in that first half, almost every time Spurs broke and, and, and were able to get the ball back and started going forward, it was not difficult for them to get into Man City's third, like a t- um, defensive third. Right? As difficult as that was last season for most teams against Manchester City, right? Like that that was like the big difference last year between mm-hmm. um, that season and, and the season prior to that, where, where Liverpool won the title, it was, they found a way to be way more secure in the counters. And this game was just very back to like two years, two to three years ago for, for city in terms of defending um, defending transitions, at least. And that's where, when they don't make that goal in the first half, in the first half, Mares had a great chance, right? Um, when they don't score, the second half, they totally fell off. Like they, they fell pretty yeah. flat, I think, in terms of energy. And um, for that, I'm not going to fault the any like tactics or, or anything like that. I mean, City did have a few friendlies canceled because of COVID, and you know, you think about a couple the the England players that are still not in the team yet and guys that are just not fit really. Um, that's going to make their beginning of the season, I think a bit difficult, just, you know, just to get up to speed. And it's not, it's, I won't be too surprised if they somehow like draw another game here in the first um, five, first like four or five games of the season, but they like fell off in the second half from an energy standpoint and, Spurs were still ready to keep countering and all it took was one chance it was really one one really good shot from um from Sun but a shot I did not like expect to go in right like yeah, it just yeah. didn't look like it was yeah. at all going in when we were, wa- when we were watching his um roommate turns next to me he's like it's like oh wow I like oh actually I asked why did Edison not dive and then my roommate was like, oh, I think he thought that the shot was going to get blocked by Diaz. Yeah. And, yeah. and then they show the replays like, oh, yes, fair. He's like anticipating that to get blocked. But Diaz just just doesn't quite get to it, really. Um, it looked like someone had sniped him from like 100 yards away. <laughs> right? I don't know what it was, but it just kind yeah, of Yeah, the way he like fell over, yeah, was was funny. But um, 
but yeah, end of the day, I, I think I think the the first half was good from City. I think like seven out of ten times they'll probably score one in the first half, and then that completely changes how the game flows, right? But we got to give Spurs credit, honestly, for for not just kind of hanging in and and withstanding pressure from City, but their counterattacks were so coordinated. Yeah. Like that that was so impressive to me. 100%. That was the most impressive thing about this game and I specifically want to shout out Bergwine for Bergwine? Is that how you say it? Berg it's Bergwine. I think I think, Ber- I, I think it might be Vine. I think it might be Vine. I'm going to go with Vine, but I thought his ability to run directly at their center like Manchester City center back pairing was the fundamental reason why Spurs were so good on the counterattack. Hungman's son did a really good job of getting on the end of some of those passes, right? He also created a few of those counterattacks himself. But either way, Bergvine did one of two things really well. He either ran at the defenders with the ball and distributed at exactly the right time, or he dragged people well out of place to allow runners from deep to get in behind. And you saw that a couple of times, especially more so in the second half. But I thought, I thought him specifically, his contribution to the counterattack is what even allowed Hungman's son to have as much freedom as he did, which I thought they Manchester did not do a very good job of closing him down at all. No, I, I, I totally agree. Like <laughs> Fernandinho looked 36. I'll, I'll put it that way in, in is, that game. Is there a reason why I was, I had this thought beforehand. Is there a reason why like, who else did not start this game? I mean, Bernardo Silva, for I think obvious reasons, he's basically on his way out. Um, I'm trying to think of like why Fernandinho started. You know I, what I mean, I, I think Rodri was injured or, or still getting fitness potentially. Yeah. But that being said, I'm not necessarily sure if just slotting, swapping Rodri in for Fernandinho there makes you more resistant against counterattacks so I, I think that's that's still a s- issue a sneaky issue um that I think City could have this season is if Fernandinho does fall off in terms mm-hmm. of you know just losing a step as you would expect most 36 year old players at the, that level you'd expect that to happen especially for midfielders right um I think if if he does fall off at all in in terms of just the athleticism side of his game, then that's going to create a lot of the same issues that this team had two years ago. And so, you know, it could could just be another fitness thing, and maybe maybe he gets back um, up to just about the same speeds he was hitting last last year in terms of running on dead sprints. But that was um, <laughs> that was a tough watch at times um how easily Tottenham were able to run past him yeah um and and him not even being able to get in his customary uh should be yellow card but somehow it gets away with it <laughs> fouls yeah um, him and Casemiro are one and yep. one each other <laughs> it's something something about the Brazilians um <laughs> <laughs> but but again from the from the Spurs point of view uh Elias I'll, I'll leave you with this one maybe last question um 
I said this on Twitter, but it was Harry Kane the only thing keeping them from being like a likable team? Oh my god, no! Let's <laughs> like, that's not okay. First like, off, like, first just off. just in terms of care, just in terms of like the actual people on the team, and and maybe I mean I'm gonna say Mourinho and Harry Kane might have been the two things keeping them away from it. Recently. Okay, but, well that's that's <laughs> fair, but but you removed those two. This that was a really likable performance maybe it also helps that i just like nuno way <laughs> yeah, more yeah, than, yeah, yeah. than a lot of past um tottenham coaches but i don't know I, I i really enjoyed watching them play this weekend and um i thought that performance was like really really uh likable i'll just say likable no i agree i thought they were much more direct right and and in a way that utilizes i guess what some sort of front three is going to look like for them this season that's where they're gonna be able to win games it's on that counter-attacking play i don't think i still don't think that spurs are a build-up possession style um you know they're not a team to look for the the spaces in between the yeah. lines like that's not that's i don't not think that's they how they're uh, yeah exactly and and to be fair that's not really who nuno is either I right. mean, even in his time to Valencia, that's not what I saw. And I think that I'm, I, I don't want to actually ruin anything, but I ha- there's a question that Rian will ask later that maybe we can get to in a little bit that will really give my thoughts on, um, on Spurs as a whole. I do not think Harry Kane was the freaking problem. No, I don't think your top, I, I guess, score yeah yeah. like how can you that's like saying Messi was the problem of Barcelona you know what I mean it's it's not I just said likable I didn't say that they're a better team without him yet but you I did now now that that was a joke that was a joke Mm -hmm. no no it's fine that was a joke until it's not okay um but no just say just pure likability pure likability um feel good factor which I think I mean it's really easy to get the feel good factor in when you're the guy after Mourinho. So yeah, yeah, that's fair. I do. (laughs) I do think that Harry, Harry Kane, yes, will end up going to Manchester city, but more so will thrive more at city than he will at Spurs. If that makes sense. Like I'm not, not saying the Spurs were holding him back, but I think the service that he will get at city will be so much better than it was at Spurs because he's not, he's not a counterattacking type of striker. Like he is, I guess the very cliche term of a penalty box predator, like that's the type of profile that he is. I do think that city would be better for him. Not to say that Spurs would be better without him, but I'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah. And uh, just one stat to leave us with from the Spurs point of view here too. We talked about how impressed we were on their, from their counterattacks, like per Opta Spurs had, tied for most direct attacks this weekend with five <laughs> tied with Wolverhampton Wanderers. <laughs> That's a great stat. That's wonderful. Well, Rian, why don't we move on to the questions that we have at hand, starting, I guess, with yours, which kind of is a good segue based on the conversation we just had. Yes. That was actually a perfect. That was actually a perfect kind of um, <laughs> segue there. <laughs> I, I 
I wanted to ask this question last week, but I, I thought we would probably have time to talk about it this week. I was thinking, you know, whatever, one more. This weekend of results is not going to change the whole scope of this question that much. But Elias, I think you and I are pretty much of the same mind that it's very hard to see past the potential top four of whatever combination might be that includes Manchester United, Liverpool, Chelsea, and Manchester City. It, it Those seem to be the clear and cut four best squads. And then you throw, throw even in the, the coaches, like those are the four best teams um, in England. And this is fair, fair enough on paper, but it, it feels like the gap is widened between the four best teams in the league and, and the rest, um, especially after this summer. So the real, I think, fun conversation that is going to be had for the next <laughs> few months, at least until, unless crazy things happen, which always do in the first like true. 10 games of those of the season. Very true. Elias, who to you is the fifth best team in England? And I want to make it even more specific when I think about team because I don't want to just say oh who are the who's the fifth most talented squad in, in okay. the league the fifth best team combination of the actual depth and squad 11 talent along with their coach okay so my, you don't have my, to give me one sorry you can give me like a yeah. few a few because I definitely have a few it's like a few teams. I, I almost want to make it harder and say like my number one answer. And I think you're, you're not going to be very happy with the fact that I did not choose another team, but I'm going to go with Spurs as, as my fifth, as my fifth best team. I think you mentioned the top four Chelsea city United um, Liverpool are kind of a lock Spurs Outside of this past performance, by the way, I, this would have been my answer regardless of the Manchester City game. But Spurs are a team that on paper have the attacking quality to be potentially a top four side. They have the very average inconvenience of being a very average midfield and defensive team. I do think that if you, if you add Nuno to the mix, which you wanted me to do in this evaluation that this team becomes tactically more astute. And I do think that the signing of Christian Romero from Atalanta is a massive boost to their defensive line. So I can see how this Spurs team slowly progresses and gets better. Obviously, a big part of this is going to hinge on whether Harry Kane sticks around. But given, given the squad that they have now, even without Harry Kane, there's a lot of talent to be had there. I just think that they needed to get rid of Mourinho to actually put together a side that makes sense. Like, like in the context of a team, not, not a broad range of individuals. And I think Nuno's already showed that he is certainly up to that task. So I'm sorry. I did not choose lesser, which was really the other team that I potentially was thinking about, but Spurs, I think on paper, are better with much better than with Nuno, I would say. I, I still, I like that choice as because I had like, I have a few teams here who 
I would put in like to my contenders bucket, but I do have Spurs as like second on that ring, right? I, I, and I, and I am going to admit a little recency bias from this past weekend. And, and I'm only going to say that because like you, I totally agree on like the, they have the quality to be the fifth best team for sure. And, and, you know, things, they break their way, like some injuries and, and, you know, the team really takes to Nuno's coaching and just him as a person really, really well. Like who knows, like maybe they completely surprise us, but I do think that this is a team that, that after this weekend show that they can actually be very effective playing this way as a team and not fully hinge on individual players being brilliant, which is, what it felt like a lot of last season for them when they were successful last season, it was a lot of being super, super compact. And then Harry Kane and Hungman son, you guys figure it out on the counter and figure it out when we get to the final third on Saturday or Sunday, it felt really like more of a team performance than um, I think a lot of their success, um, successful wins last season. So that being said, they are second to Leicester. You are correct. Um, Leicester, who got past Wolves 1-0 this weekend, they didn't look great. And outside of just Jamie Vardy is still like just inevitable. He's just inevitable at this point. Um, I still love Brendan Rodgers as a coach. I love this squad still. And the Wesley Fofana injury is just so, so devastating um, because the players that they brought in without losing James Madison and it's, and who knows, who knows that's, I think that's up in the air, whether he leaves, I think it's more likely than not that he stays. Probably this season. that he's, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think more likely than not, he stays for at least another season being able to keep him um, and Bringing in, I think it's Sumer from from Lille, who had a great season with Lille as they won the title. Um, losing Fofano sucks, but Yannick Vestergaard was Southampton's best defender last year. So and- Southampton are screwed, by the way. I mean, yes, I, I mentioned this to you off the pod after our last recording, but they've yeah. sold like every important player. <laughs> yes, that that is something we we will we will definitely get to in the in the latter portions of, of this episode. But I, I just think having that squad and and um, a really good striking rotation of Vardy, Ihanacho, and a Pat Sandaka, who they brought in from Red Bull uh, Salzburg, the Austrian team. And I only can tell you <laughs> that I am genuinely convinced he's a, he's a good player because I've watched a fair amount of the Salzburg games to watch the uh, the Philadelphia Union Academy product. Um, Brendan Aronson, who moved there last year, I watched a, lot, a fair amount of those games. He's he's a damn good finisher, and he and yeah. he fits perfectly, I think, in terms of like a high pressing kind of um, team. And I, I think that's still the fifth best. I think that's the fifth best combo for me. And I think in my other contenders here. I have, 
West Ham, who looked good again. I, I don't think they'll finish fifth, um, maybe not even sixth. I think they I think they'll have a great chance of finishing in like seventh, I guess sixth at best, honestly. That's still a good team who have not lost anyone um, significant. They're going to almost definitely keep Declan Rice again yeah. this season. Um, and then I think fourth in my in my little top five or fifth place rankings here would be, I think, Everton. Um, yeah, that who, was that was the other one for me. Yeah, who who came back from behind against Southampton with which Everton almost never does. They don't ever, they almost never come back from behind against anyone. So that was that was very different for them and I think the only thing that um that their success this season hinges on is Richarlison, can he keep his fitness? And not just his fitness. I mean like mentally, physically, like the tiredness cuz he played all summer as well. Another one of those guys who played in the Copa America and then went and played in the Olympics as well. And was Brazil's best player, but uh, he started this season very well against Southampton. And so did Calvert-Lewin and Southampton are yes, in trouble. I think, <laughs> I think, in, I think in real trouble. Yeah. Um, so there it is. Elise. Um, wonderful, wonderful answers. I usually find a way to stir the pot with you, but I actually can't this time around. I think the, the, the fact that we're on, Similar pages is scary. But anyway, let's <laughs> let's take a quick break. Rian, we'll be back talking a little about the next question. Who impresses the most around the league in terms of the team slash player? And then a little bit of a rundown of those results. Well, let's get right back to it, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to talk a little bit about Next question up, which funny enough, Rian and I both actually had the same question for this one. I thought of it separately. Rian thought of it separately. He sent me his question and I was like, well, shit. Okay. Well, that's what I want to ask too. So we're just going to do two questions for this portion of the England pod. Rian, my question to you, as you already know, but for our listeners is how long will Arsenal go before mounting more pressure real pressure on Mikel Arteta how much how much more can he really withstand Uh, I fear for him to get to Christmas honestly and again I don't I'm gonna admit some slight recency bias here (laughs) (laughs) like Obviously, this is a more poignant question coming off of their loss to Brentford on Friday, a 2-0 loss um, to recently promoted Brentford, we should say. But um, not to take away from the fact that Brentford were really good on the day. And also to throw in the caveat that Arsenal were missing Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, uh, Alex Lacazette, Thomas Partey, and I believe Gabrielle, right? Those are four really, really important players to Arsenal being able to, again, for lack of a better term, like handle a Premier League side. <laughs> like the like, fact that uh, we even got to that point is just sad, though. Yeah, I can't even say necessarily like win the game or dominate yeah, or yeah. anything like that, but in the least handle it, which they did not. 
um, against Brentford. They looked, they looked very overmatched. Uh, and it's very tough on a guy like Fuller and Balogun who gets his first like real start in a Premier League game um, for Arsenal. And, you know, he's just obviously not ready yet. And he's, and he's only 20 years old and, and it's a really difficult position to put him in. Um, <laughs> it's for his first, first ever start. And you throw on top of that, the, the team also really not until like Bukayo Saka came on, the team didn't look remotely like cohesive in the attack, right? Or, or, or do anything threatening, at least, even if they could string passes together, but like do something threatening outside of a moment of brilliance from Emil Smith-Rowe. And then when Bukayo Saka came on, moments of brilliance from him like relying but individual brilliance that's individual brilliance yeah. absolutely absolutely um and that's where it's getting tougher and tougher to come up with valid excuses for Mikel Arteta and we have defended him I think at almost every turn in the last like nine months or so um and by defending him, just more more throwing some shade at Arsenal as a club in general. And mm-hmm. of course, that is still part of the problem here, not to put it all on Mikel Arteta. But what we're seeing on the field is it, it doesn't feel like this team has progressed much since Unai Emery left I I think they're better defensively just just structurally defensively structurally let's let's not go as far as saying that yes yeah and 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 that's why it was also a tough game for for Ben White too and and it shouldn't have been a tough game necessarily for him right for someone who's played in the Premier League the last two years and and to look so I mean, he got can, beat. Can I, he he did, but but can I just say this? Two things. One, I think Brentford are a better side than we are giving them credit for. I will oh, yeah. I will say yeah. I will say I still expect them to go down, but they are a better side than we expected. B, we need to stop this narrative of young English internationals who are also Premier League defenders automatically having like a five x multiplier on their worth or on their transfer value. That as a narrative just needs to stop. Carry on. No, no, it's it's actually, it is funny you say that because I think a like yesterday, I must I must have been on one of these sort of like Twitter or Reddit <laughs> threads, um, <laughs> and so and basically someone, you know, as this rarely as this happens, had a good point where they were basically like, well, for teams like Arsenal or, or teams like. Arsenal Spurs, whatever, who are outside of, especially the ones outside, finished outside of the top six, even last season. Um, they're having to pay these premiums on players, like pretty much non-Champions League players that will that will help them get, that could help them get into the Champions League, but they have to pay more for them because like, because no one else, because no one else like in the top four 
is going after them and yet they are still a very rich club and like yeah. they're in this yeah, terrible yeah. middle ground where it's like we know you have the money <laughs> like but and also you have to do this because you can't get anyone else um better it's a seller's so, market for for certain again, scenarios exactly exactly but largely right now i would say <laughs> given covid and every top club's <laughs> financial situation it's a buyer's market <laughs> exactly and so and so that's where it's hard to give to put um so much of the blame on Mikel Arteta right but you know you throw it that in with just like some of the decisions from last season like letting Ozil go with with really not a backup plan in place there um like we know they're trying to bring Mikel or uh sorry Martin Odegaard into the club we'll see if that if that happens but even if those guys come back next week for their for their game against Chelsea, if if Lacazette and Aubameyang are back, which it's looking likely they are not going to be, at least maybe one of them is in, but I, I don't believe that they're both back in um, in time for next weekend. It still just feels like not much progress um, for the way that the team plays or success on the actual field for them. And that's where it's, it's going to be really, really interesting to see the Emirates full again. And I'll just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't even know if it'll be full <laughs> at the rate that they're going at, but I do. Oh, they'll be, I... they'll be, they'll, <laughs> they, if there's one thing that they will always show up for, it is for a protest of some sort. Fair enough. I'm not, I'm never going to argue that point because they do a wonderful job at, at that because there's no other way to vent their frustrations outside of, I guess, Twitter, but that's not a real avenue. I will say the last thing to answer the original question, how long is our attempt to get before kind of this pressure is really applied to his job? I would say between Thanksgiving and Christmas, if things are not going the way that you know Arsenal expect the problem they will have for the second time third time now if they do decide to let Arteta go is but who else but who else and quite frankly I don't know who else that is we'll cross that bridge when we get there Rian let's let's move on Frank DeBoer is at home (laughs) and ready to go Yeah, we don't we don't want to get relegated, man. That's not that's not what we're going for with Arsenal. They deserve a little credit. He's one call away. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah so is the club for financial ruin. But all right, never mind. Carrying on, Rian, we need to move on to the last portion of the podcast. Which team impressed you the most this weekend? Was it Brentford with their shock win against Arsenal and convincing one at that? Was it Spurs? with their win against city or was it, I guess maybe Everton. I'm just like throwing possible, possible ones out there. Uh, no, I think I'm going to say, going to say um, Spurs were the most impressive team for me. They just purely performance that impressed me the most. Um, they, well, we talked about it. Like they, I was quite surprised at how well it all looked like gelled together. And I say that mostly because Chelsea played 
Spurs in a friendly the about a week and a half earlier, maybe a whole week earlier. Um, and it was more or less the same starting 11 that, that Spurs played in that friendly. And I remember the first half of that game being like, wow, they look terrible. Like, <laughs> yeah, they look yeah, like yeah, they yeah. cannot keep the ball and yep. they can't. And they're, and every time they try, I remember thinking like every time they try to counter, they are messing it up. Um, and look, either big credit to Chelsea on the day or big credit to Nuno and his coaching staff for correcting a lot of the issues that were going on in that, um, in that friendly and, and the team just looking really, really well drilled from a defensive standpoint. And then also really cohesive as a team, again, not as like individual players, just playing a, a beautiful ball like cross field ball like Kane could do and or or playing a wonderful like through ball into sun like perfectly in stride as Harry Kane would do um no but as a team actually like being like different avenues of the field and in enough space and just giving themselves options on the counter um it, it was a really impressive like top down performance from from Spurs no I agree and I think that's a that's a pretty good shout for a team. I'm going to go with a different answer. Um, feels like the world's kind of falling apart. And I, and I don't know why I'm giving this answer, but it is the honest answer. I was very impressed with Manchester United. I was very impressed with them. I went back and watched the like extra extended highlights because I could not actually watch the game in full, but they carved open leads. Like it wasn't it wasn't even fair at times. The way that they found space in in the wing areas. Mason Greenwood, for me personally, was my favorite player in this match. Yeah, I could talk about Bruno. I mean, the man scores tappins for fun. I could talk about Pogba's four assists, which, by the way, were wow. wonderful. No, 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 no. I, I'm I mean, going, no, it's yeah. my turn. No, I'm getting through this before you call that out. I'm getting through this. We, I could talk about Pogba's four assists. I could talk a lot about a lot with United, but I thought Greenwood's finishing and his ability to make space for himself was genuinely like bordering on world-class so i'll give united a lot of credit for just coming out and absolutely slapping leads which who were basically almost a full like fully healthy side um calvin phillips didn't play but beyond that they were fully healthy so say what you want now say what you want now go for it (laughs) i mean I'm not gonna I'm not gonna entertain (laughs) that I'm just not gonna entertain it Um, exactly exactly but to your Greenwood point um he is like I, I at his age I honestly think it's like him and Holland in terms of just pure finishing like his goal from the angle that he hit that yeah to hit it perfectly like almost hitting the inside of the of the far post like seeing the replays seeing like the three replays of it and every time being like being like wow he melier actually had zero chance of saving that yeah yeah, yeah. maybe even if he guessed that it was going there there was no chance because it was also hit with so much pace like uh, so many of his finishes especially in like his first few games when he came up for United were from like crazy angles and just always perfectly placed too. So that's like the, 
secret sauce of like there's some secret sauce of like finishing where some guys are just lethal at it yeah. and just can either have the concentration or like the body control it's obviously a combination of the both right like where he can place it almost anywhere he wants it and uh and makes it impossible for keepers to save it a lot of times um but yeah to your, to your point in the whole game i we saw this very very similar result last year when united beat leeds again at old trafford it was 6-2 last mm-hmm. last year they're just a terrible matchup for Leeds. Like a <laughs> matchup like a nightmare yeah when you think about the way that Leeds play where they man mark across the entire field and when you come up against united who's like arguably the most athletic team in the premier league that is just such a recipe for disaster like yeah. where fred can make his run straight into the box and not unmarked. have to work Unmar- unmarked like, unmarked because he's just running past his, yeah. his man marker <laughs> greenwood especially on the on his goal it's just a dead sprint he just sprints past um i think it might have been ailing like, he just straight sprints past it like, pogba plays it into space and he just runs past his marker um it, it's it's a terrible matchup for Leeds, and it's it's a perfect matchup i think for united because you almost have to worry about um, defensive structure with the ball just so much less when you're playing against Leeds because you can – guys like Bruno who love to just float is just pulling the defensive mid way out of position. And then there's like this huge open space in the middle of the field yeah, yeah, for yeah. guys like Fred and guys like McTominay to just run straight through and – it united know exactly how to beat this leads team like they just know exactly how to beat them and it's and they could probably do it in their sleep um going forward so um yeah that, that was a really really impressive performance by united again another impressive like finishing performance by united they hit 1.5 on xg and scored five goals like they're yeah this this team is very of which probably 0.8 of that's from fred's chance yeah yeah honestly um like the we talked about it last year. Like this team can bail themselves out so easily because they're so good at finishing as a whole. Like there's a reason why they went so long, or they might still have the record um, of going down in a game and still winning. Like they they can come back from almost any deficit, um, especially an early deficit, because they are just going to keep ripping shots and and they're really good finishers so more often than other teams it will go in yep yep very true maybe that's what all that uh attacking talent over the last seven years from basically martial to now has uh paid off not really but it, it <laughs> it's, soon, it's just soon a might. pure volume a pure volume just put as many good finishers without real like tactical positioning yeah, on the same team yeah. You're, you have a decent chance of scoring a couple goals every game so. literally literally well anyway rion last question or i guess not really a question just a roundup of the rest of the uh results around the league i think you'll be pretty pleased with how your team did <laughs> i think that's pretty fair yes yes so three uh a three no win for chelsea against crystal palace this weekend without 
Romelu Lukaku. Um, they're missing a couple other players in defense. So Thiago Silva. Um, I think uh, the, with, the without Romelu Lukaku part really hits that mm-hmm. like that um, El Chiringuito like clip yeah. of uh, what's his face rubbing <laughs> his hands. Yeah, that's how I feel. Yes, yes. Um, but that was it was a it was a good win. It was a very easy win for Chelsea. Palace were really really bad. Like Palace didn't have a. I don't think Palace had a single touch in Chelsea's third uh, defensive third in the first half. And they barely got out of their own half. Chelsea were were very good on the counter press. Uh, we'll give that um, great performance in that sense. And then we had Brighton come back against Burnley and and win two one. Um, gosh, I, again, I'm 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 just fingers crossed. This might be the year that Burnley finally goes down, but uh, they'll probably find a way to get to forty points either way. Um, and then another one, Aston Villa, just getting totally outworked by Watford. Like Watford went up 3-0, and then Villa came back and got a couple goals at, um, close to the end of the game. But this is – I'm not necessarily worried about Villa's attack. I think that's going to get better with time when you think about all of the signings that they made this summer. It's really their defending – which was very mediocre last season, as we talked about last week. Um, that's got to get better this this season because there won't be a Jack Grealish who can just completely slow the game down and just halt everything, just and carry the team forward, um, almost like with defensive possession sometimes, right, withdrawing fouls. So that's something that they're going to have to improve on for sure. Um, and past that, I, I think we got into everything else. Uh, West West Ham, who I mentioned already with a good comeback win against Newcastle United. And I think the rest I is think history. I think that's yeah. just about it. Yeah, we've we've got a, an interesting week of games next weekend. Oh, did we say weekend. Liverpool? Did we mention Liverpool? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Wow. Oh, wow. Good catch. Um, yes, Liverpool winning 3-0 against Norwich. Um, a couple of things from that from that game there. Um Norwich was... are still poor. I mean... and they, they it was a very it was a very um reminiscent performance by Norwich in terms of it looked a lot like how they looked the last time they were in the Premier League, where yeah, like yeah, yeah. some nice possession and stuff, but then really simple goals that they concede, like really simple. Um, and, and and it was nice to see Van Dyke back and Van Dyke looking pretty much un, unchanged from his uh, ACL injury. And then um, last few things on it, Josh Sargent got his debut with Norwich there in that game. So it was good for him. And, and unfortunately there were some homophobic chants towards uh, Billy Gilmore. who's the Chelsea player on loan from, oh, I didn't even hear about this Yeah, from Liverpool's from Liverpool's supporters. Um, Liverpool already came out and condemned it, of course. Um, but just something to note there. And from there, I think we are all good for this weekend Elias next weekend the big game I believe will probably be Chelsea Arsenal I mean so. 
Big is is again relative. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> I'm more looking fair. forward towards Tottenham and Wolves personally. Tottenham but, Wolves, even hey, even West Ham Leicester should be yeah. t- on paper a uh, pretty pretty entertaining game. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. One hundred percent. One hundred percent. So, with that, ladies and gentlemen, we will be back in a couple days talking a little bit about Spain and a messiless Barcelona and everything going on there. But in the meantime. Talk to you soon. Thanks, guys.